It is the 200 level episode 130. Enough already. Now, this was going to be a post game podcast. Full disclosure, as I'm sitting here during the halftime show, it is currently 4.32 Central Time. It has been an unbelievable day. I'll save the political stuff for later, maybe. But, uh, you know, obviously I was pretty happy about that news. But more than that, or on top of that, I should say, 75 degrees, an absolutely gorgeous November day. You do not get days like this on November 7th. Doing some yard work, doing all the domesticated stuff, just reveling in a beautiful weekend. And thinking, you know what, at 2.30, Illinois has got a shot. This is a Minnesota team that has a terrible defense that has only, uh, let me see, I want to make sure I get this right. In the first two games, Minnesota forced a punt twice. In the first half here, they forced four against Illinois. And that alone, okay, that punt stat made me think, you know what, we got a shot here. We got a shot because with a running quarterback and a defense that gives up about 10 yards per play, you'll hang in there, even if the defense doesn't do so hot. Well, instead, after one full half of play, you have seven points on offense. You were getting outgained three to one. Minnesota with over 300 yards on the ground. And maybe it is presumptuous to come down here and start a podcast, which will basically be a postmortem on the Lovey Smith era. I'm going to let you know that right now, okay? To start a podcast where I'm going to write the obituary, yeah, it's premature, I guess. But on the other hand, it's not premature at all. We've seen enough. Enough already. That's the title of this podcast episode, and it is because the same narrative has persisted. I don't want to come on here and talk about my long-term concerns every single week, but unfortunately, they do not give us enough in the short term to really discuss what's going on in the field, which is, I mean, that's bad enough, right? But we aren't really learning anything. We don't have glimmers of hope. We don't have, well, if this happens and this happens, this team might actually start winning games. Instead, it is a laundry list of things that this team would have to do in order to become functional. And that ain't going to happen. It has not happened for any prolonged stretch in this five-year tenure. Four-game winning streak in year four. That's the aberration. You are about to lose your sixth straight game. And other than the Iowa game, which was the first in the six-game losing streak that you're about to be in. Other than that, you haven't been all that competitive. 28-7 at the half against Minnesota, down 31-10 against Purdue, if that was maybe early third quarter last week. Wisconsin game, to be honest, I kind of forget what the margin was. What was it, 45-3? 45-7, something like that. And you scored on defense. That was it. This is a broken program, and it is time to move on. I've alluded to this before, but this right now, okay, if there's a clarion call, this is it, my friends. (laughs) We are drawing the line in the sand and saying, move on. And there are ways to do that, even in this COVID year. Let's get to that in a second. Before we do, got to thank the sponsors. DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. Here's what you do. Go to dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike. That's M-I-K-E, and you get $5 calzones. If you've ever had DP Doe, you know that is a ridiculous deal. If you haven't, why not try it? And here's the best thing. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So as you're sitting at home watching other football games or a functioning team that you root for maybe playing, DP Doe is a great thing to enjoy. Or if you're hate-watching this Illinois-Minnesota game, Even better, right? It will make you feel better because it is good comfort food and it's at a ridiculous price. Steve and the guys at DP Doe, they've been doing this for a while. Back when I was in college, that was one of our mainstays. It's still there and for good reason. It is one of the best food places in Champaign-Urbana. So go to dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and Kirby.com. Don't let this football team's performance keep you from getting some Illini swag. We are three weeks away from Illini basketball, we think. We hope it'll happen. It has to happen, right? Three weeks away from that. So get some new apparel, and I believe they got some more stuff dropping probably just in time for basketball season. But in the meantime, plenty of vintage-inspired Illini apparel that you can choose from, including a really sweet crew neck navy sweatshirt with the orange Illinois script font from last year's retro basketball jerseys. That's 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off your order at 4thandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs, and Kara and I can vouch for it. It was a seamless process working with Brian and his staff, getting homeowners, getting auto, a great bundle. We knew Brian before this, so I could tell you before we worked with him that, yes, you can trust him, but I can also tell you on top of that, he makes it as easy 
as the process could be. So go to brianismyguy.com for State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. That's brianismyguy.com. Got to thank Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We will get a podcast with Jeremy on the Illini Inquirer Podcast, Mondays with Mike. Not sure if we'll record that Sunday evening or Monday at lunchtime, but we'll get it out there. And of course, there will be plenty to talk about. And uh, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network doing great. A couple other podcasts I would recommend. Champagne is also a band where they talk to local musicians. I've been on it a couple times with Sven. And then also the I Have to Ask podcast hosted by Elizabeth Hess. She was at 1400 for a long time and is doing her own thing and doing it well. So that's the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. All right, the second half is underway. So I guess as we go along, maybe this will be somewhat of a post-game reaction podcast. But at the end of the day, we know what's in front of us and we know what is ahead in the weeks ahead. That is to say, this is not a good football team. And in year five, that would indicate that this is not a good football program. There are some nice pieces. We would acknowledge that Lovey has added a guy here, a guy there. And it makes you think, wow, if this team, if everything worked out, they should be at least serviceable, right? They should be able to win some games in this Big Ten. But unfortunately, the hole doesn't work. It doesn't work. And at this point, as you sit down 28-7 to against a Minnesota team that is 0-2 themselves, and we knew they'd come in hungry, well, why didn't we come in just as hungry? If anything, we should have been the team feeling even better because you damn near made the comeback against Purdue. You have this young quarterback starting under center that all the teams seemed to really rally around last week. And instead, you come out and you're the flat team. You're the undisciplined team making mistake after mistake. Now, Illinois is going to score here in the second half. They might score a few touchdowns. And we might get back to this sort of comeback territory where at the end of the day, the Illinois football account may tweet out something like something to build on. But after a while, we don't want to hear that crap. This goes back to Josh Whitman's sunset tweet. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I'm pissed off right now, so I'm going to. We don't need to be told that it is sunshine and roses when, in fact, it is just outright bad. And there are not any signs that it's going to get better this year or the years to come. When I see a tweet like that from Josh Whitman earlier this week, The scary thing to me is that in his mind, as smart of a guy as he is, you can rationalize a lot of things. Human beings, we do this, right? We rationalize behaviors that we know we probably shouldn't be engaged in. Uh, And in this case, what if he has convinced himself after trying long and hard enough that, hey, this thing might work. Lovey's our guy. If just this and this happens, it's all going to work out. He might have done that, right? Or he may be smart and pragmatic enough to know that, guess what? This is not going to work. There are, of course, the complications with COVID-19 and a budget that clearly is not going to be there. You have non-revenue programs that other schools, similar size athletic departments are getting rid of. And I really am not looking forward to the day where we might get news about that from our own non-revenue sports here at Illinois. That could happen given this COVID-19 climate. But you do have six games left after this. You do have time to go to those donors, and I know it might be a tough sell, but you have some donors where you can ask for help here specifically to pay the buyout for Levy Smith, and essentially what you're paying Levy Smith right now, that's enough to lure a decent coach. You got the facilities. You'll have some decent guys on your roster next year. It won't be a good team, but it'll be at least something to work with before you would wait an extra year, and then you are really working with nothing in 2022. But... There is a window here to make a move. There is an opportunity here to do so. I don't want COVID-19 to become the convenient excuse that we can't make that move. Similarly, (laughs) I don't want comebacks or fake rallies or a three and six season where they win three of their last six games, right? Here's the nightmare scenario. They still just end up sucking the rest of the year, but because of the competition they play, guess what? They're going to win this game. They're going to win that game just kind of by default. And that could happen. That's a scary proposition. At the end of the day, though, um, I I don't know what Josh is going to do. I just hope that this is a consideration at this point. And if it's not, he's not doing his job. Josh Whitman's going to keep his job. It probably should not be in any sort of danger, right? He has done a lot of good things since he's been here. The facilities alone should be applauded for that. The Brad Underwood hire looks to be potentially a home run. Potentially, right? As we go into year four now with a top 10 basketball team and gradually get the 2021 class going, I think the continuity will be there where Brad Underwood is going to be success long term, right? Indications point to that being the case. You look at the women's basketball program, and I don't want to say no one cares, but unfortunately, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of public perception, not many people do. But that hire is not working out yet either. 
and you lost your best player to North Carolina last year, it is difficult to imagine that they're going to make some sort of significant jump with Nancy Faye in what, year three or four. So all that said, you got Brad Underwood, you got facilities, but you got a lot of question marks in other areas. And then you have the football program, which has been a failure. Let's stop calling it anything else but a failure. No jury is out. No, we got to let the season play out. This has been an abject failure. And would I be happy to eat my words? Absolutely. But I'm not going to because this team is not going to turn it around because they don't have a coaching staff capable of turning it around. It is maddening as an Illini football fan to look at the last 20 years of futility. And the fact that it started out yeah, in 2000, they won 5-7. and seven. That was a disappointing year for Micron PC. But in 2001, making a Sugar Bowl, winning an outright Big Ten title, that was when I was so fully on board. I will never forget the feeling of leaving that stadium. It was mid-November, beating Penn State at home. It was a comeback. It was an ugly first half. And that electric feeling of, oh my God, we're, like, we're legit. Worst case scenario, we're an eight-win team, second place in the Big Ten. And then, of course, you win on Thanksgiving to end up beating Northwestern at home and winning the outright Big Ten title. Thanks to... Jim Trestle beating Michigan in his first try. So it was a magical season, and it was an unbelievable feeling to think, well, wait a second, I know basketball is good. I mean, at that point in my life, basketball was good every year, and we just so happened to be in the uh, beginning of the Bill Self era, so it felt especially good. And as I left the stadium with my dad that night, as we went back to our car outside of the assembly hall, I remember thinking, oh my God, this is happening. We got both programs, and they're in good footing, and it ain't going anywhere for a while, right? Well, clearly Ron Turner could not sustain that. Ron Zook, apart from the Rose Bowl year, that was a very frustrating tenure, despite the recruiting and despite making two bowl games and going seven and six his last two seasons. But uh, ultimately, <laughs> this is a bad football program, and it continues to be a bad football program because of the coaches that you have. Now, I need to stop this for a second and let you know that what just happened here was Illinois had a second and goal, and then all of a sudden they had a third and goal from midfield. A third and goal from the 50-yard line. This is ineptitude. I know it's the fourth-string quarterback. That hurts, right? But guess what? He's not the only one out there that's struggling. And that tells me that these guys are not being put in a position to succeed week in, week out. So we can look back at Ron Turner. Not good. We can look at Ron Zook. Not good. Tim Beckman. Don't get me started. Bill Cubitt, whatever. <laughs> Lovey Smith, potentially the worst of them all. Potentially the worst coach in the modern Illinois football era. We will talk about him the same way, the same way that I heard Gary Moeller's name. And at least that guy went on to have actual success in Michigan. What I would give for Bob Blackman era. What I would give for that right now. Functional football, probably boring as all hell. What I would give for Lou Tepper football. And I know that's a bit of a stretch because we saw towards the tail end of it how bad that got. But when he had defensive studs, they were a team that made a couple bowl games. This is a, a tenure where they will make one bowl game, one bowl game in five years or beyond if they decide to keep Levy. And that ain't going to cut it. It's not that difficult. It isn't. To compound the issue... Indiana has figured it out in some way, shape, or form. Magnificently, in fact. They go 3-0 today. They beat Michigan at home for the first time since 1989, I think. That was a team that you could kind of sense it. You know, Kevin Wilson had the identity with the offense, and now you have Tom Allen, who's kind of the complete opposite, where they have a really good defense. But guess what? They have a pretty good offense, too. They have a pretty good everything. They're a good football program at a non-football school. And similar to Illinois, you know, Indiana fans... They're all about the Hoosier basketball program, as they should be. They got the history behind it. But they were probably waiting in the wings for something like this to happen for Illinois or Indiana football. Excuse me. In a lot of ways, they had to wait longer than we did because we've had these little punctuated moments of success where you see Illini football fans get really excited for the Sugar Bowl, for the Rose Bowl. And then you realize it's fleeting. So I, I know that Illinois football fans are there. I know Indiana football fans are there as well. So why do they get to have that enjoyment. And I don't, you know, that's where the fandom comes in and the frustration of knowing other fan bases are enjoying their college football Saturdays. And meanwhile, year in, year out, we don't get to, 
we don't get to enjoy our football Saturdays. Instead, we go in assuming that the other shoe will, in fact, drop and that the team is going to lose miserably. And let's go back out to lot 31, even though it's only in the second quarter. That's what I would have done today. Potentially, we just left the stadium. Because when you're losing 28-7 to to a Minnesota team that looked pretty damn bad their first two games, how is that any different than losing at home 41 to nothing to Iowa, a good Iowa team a couple of years ago? How is it any different than some of the blowouts we saw in year two or year three? It's not. It's not. It's year five, and that makes it worse. That makes all of this worse. I tweeted out that wouldn't it be nice if this team could come out at the start of a game and actually look good? When was the last time they did that? Wisconsin, they hung in there. I wouldn't say they were fantastic early in the game. I think they went down 10 nothing. Michigan State, well, we don't need to rehash that first half. Rutgers, remember that? That was a bit of a slog in the first half before defensive scores got you to that victory. You go with the Purdue game last year, and I've said this before, that was my favorite Lovey Smith win. <laughs> For one, I didn't see the Wisconsin game live because it was my best friend's uh, wedding. But that Purdue game, you controlled it for 60 minutes, and it was a pleasurable experience. It was like, well, what is this? A functional football team for an entire 60-minute game? Maybe this thing will work. Of course, of course, it's not. You know, and it is, in fact, worst-case scenario. As I say that, you know, Maryland, they're up 28-7 to against Penn State. Penn State's about to fall 0-3, but at least they have a tough loss at Indiana that could have gone either way. And they played Ohio State Week 2. Certainly, this is bad. Sorry, now it's 35-7 to Maryland. What that tells you is every single other Big Ten team has at least had one good week. And here we are after three with zero. Enough already. You need to move on. You need to move on. You have potentially lost a generation of Illinois football fans. I don't think that's hyperbole. It is amazing how that becomes deeply seated in the student culture, you know, certainly a, a drastic turnaround or a lot of wins, all of a sudden the students, they will get excited to some extent. But it's turning into one of those things, maybe akin to Duke football before David Cutcliffe got there, where that student base knows that we're a basketball school and our football team just sucks, right? That just becomes acknowledged. That's a given. And that feeds itself in really nasty, ugly ways. And then beyond that, go to high school and middle school kids that watch college football like tens of millions of Americans do, and Illinois is completely irrelevant and has been for their entire lives. The Rose Bowl in 07, if you're a high school kid, you probably don't remember that. So what does it matter? And frankly, even as an Illinois football fan that lived it, that's ancient history. Loved all the guys on the team. I enjoy highlight now and then, but the thing that makes it a little bit empty is that it didn't ultimately lead to anything. Just like the 0-1 Sugar Bowl, I loved every minute of that well, apart from the game at Michigan that year, but I love most every other minute that year. And unfortunately, it didn't really lead to anything bigger, no long-term success. And yet these other teams, they find these moments and they capitalize on them. Wisconsin with a couple Rose Bowls in the 90s, right? Late 90s. They built on it and look at them now, an established football program. They have an identity. They've had it despite going from Barry Alvarez to Brett Bielema to, what was it, Gary Anderson? And now to Paul Christ, an identity. Of course, they've only played one game this year, and that was when they kicked our ass, but they have an identity, and they know what they are, and that is part of that culture up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin football is a big deal. It should be, right? And their fans embrace it, and they love it, and when I was up there with Kara and a good friend and, and his fiance who went to Wisconsin, and seeing all these Badger fans enjoying their football Saturday, I enjoyed it for a second, and then I became bitter carp embittered old man carp thinking ah these damn kids having a good time and i didn't get to have that apart from one season the rose bowl they get to have it for four years they know when they sign up for it when they go to wisconsin that their football saturdays are going to kick ass for four straight years that their bad years are what seven and five maybe same thing with iowa you know Iowa's like wisconsin light and that is a different scene up there and it takes time i recognize that but on the other hand it's not that difficult to just get a modicum of consistency, a modicum of success. And yet here we are, not just like mediocre, but just outright bad. Lovey's had time. Lovey's had time. If you want to ask yourself, is this guy um, still relevant in the coaching ranks, right? What, what school is going to pick him up after this? And don't give me the age thing. I mean, listen, the guy's very healthy. He's 
a good looking, you know, middle 60s. Is he middle 60s? Like he's the age thing I don't think would play for Lovey Smith if he was winning games. I think he would be a sought after coach. He's another in a long line of Illinois coaches that when they are done here, no one else is going to hire him. Yeah, Lou Tepper went D3. Ron Turner went, well, to the Bears, back to the Bears to be an offensive coordinator. And then I think, what was it, Central Florida or Florida Atlantic? That was it, FAU. Tim Beckman, nada. Bill Cubitt, high school in Pennsylvania or something like that. And so Lovey's going to join that that long line of Illinois football coaches that nobody else wants because it wasn't a good hire to begin with. And this is where we can all forgive Josh Whitman, I think, right? I know I am saying, you know what? Listen, I would have made the hire too. If I would have found out that Lovey Smith was interested, thinking, okay, Bears coach, what he could do going into high school, uh, high school kids' rooms in Chicago or in the Midwest, talking to their parents, that guy carries some cachet. This could work and it could work beautifully. Outside the box hire, a splash hire, you got some attention for it. We all, I think, if we knew that Lovey was available and that we could afford him, I think most all of us would have made that decision just like Josh did. So it is not criticizing the decision but now it is absolutely imperative to move. You got to move on this. There is no more play it out. There is no more wait and see. We've seen it for five years. And you could argue it's as bad now. Look at these three games. You could argue it's as bad now. if not even a little bit worse than year three. This is year two stuff. This is an abysmal team. Nice pieces or not. Yep, there's some guys that they go to other Big Ten schools, they'd probably be pretty good. But that speaks even more to the inability of Lovey Smith as a head coach to put a functional product on the field. Can't do it. He can't do it. Josh needs to probably just be quiet for the rest of the year. He, I doubt, would come out with some sort of vocal support, right? If he does, he's delusional. If he does, he loses a ton of points with me, and that would be hard to gain back because that does not need to be said right now. No one in this COVID climate is necessarily thinking he will make a move, right? Therefore, there's no reason for him to come out and say, I'm not making a move, right? I think the assumption is he probably is not going to. But this is getting bad enough where he needs to begin doing whatever, you know, under the table discussions with the people that got the money to figure out how am I going to afford this buyout? Because the money you'd be paying Lovey Smith as in terms of salary next year, you can swing that. But it needs to be going to somebody else. Now, I don't know who that is. I do not have a coaching list yet. And I need to get Steve Brettweiser on the horn and we can make some tiered coaching lists like we did at the tail end of the John Gross era. But there are guys. There is someone that can be the coach to lead Illinois to some consistency. It's just not this one. And we know it. Everybody knows it. It's not an experiment worth continuing. And the financial burden of keeping him, and I know it's probably hard to see, and I'm by no means an economist, but if you think about the financial burden long-term by keeping Lovey, failing again next year, because that is likely the outcome. I think the trend is probably suggesting year six is not going to be any better than year five. In fact, it might even be worse. Then you are having a, a Entering, I should say, a 2022 season with an entirely depleted roster, because you were, aren't really doing much on the recruiting trail, a depleted roster. And yeah, you saved a few million by not firing Lovey, but then you are looking at ticket sales and other support, uh, sources of revenue that are inevitably going to go down the longer that this thing drags out. So again, not an economist. I would probably not do very well crunching the numbers to give you that argument um, in full. And it might be completely bunk, but <laughs> I am thinking, well, wait a second. You know, you're a big boy athletic programmer. You'd like to fancy yourself as a big boy athletic program. You can find a way to make this move, but it's all about relationships. These are conversations that he's going to have to have with people that actually have the money to pull this thing off. And uh, I would chip in. I honestly think if you were to start a GoFundMe page to buy out Lovey's contract, you would get a bunch of Illini fans contributing because we can't really do it through ticket sales or something this year. And of course, you aren't going to do that. Of course, it would be in bad taste. I understand that. It wouldn't happen, but it would be there. <laughs> like That's where the fan base is at. If you were to gauge the fan base, and how many people have probably already turned this game off, right? And justifiably so, right? They decide, I'm going to spend my Saturday doing something else. Can't blame them. But they still care enough where they would throw down to get Lovey out of here. It's not a personal thing, and I know that sometimes maybe the tone with which I'm saying it would lead you to believe that I have some sort of personal animosity towards Lovey. I don't. I do have frustrations with what I perceive to be a laziness. And of course, that is, 
you know, that's projecting, right? That maybe it is, maybe it isn't a thing of laziness. But since he has gotten here, we assume that there wasn't probably going to be the buy-in in terms of the community, getting out there, building relationships with people in Champaign-Urbana like you would normally get from a college football coachy coach. We knew that would probably be the case. But that was under the assumption that Lovey was going to win at some level, and therefore, you know what, if he's winning games, who cares if he goes to quarterback club? Who cares if he's making inroads with uh, community and community groups and all that kind of stuff? No, I wouldn't have cared if he's winning, but he's not winning. So uh, is that valid of me to criticize him for things that I would not have criticized him for if they just won games? I don't know. But uh, let's be honest about this. Lovey, at the end of the day, is a man of character. Uh, He has a pretty impeccable track record in terms of integrity and things like that. That counts for something. It does. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing to have a good man running this program. Counts for something. But when we have to continue to go back to that as a reason why maybe he should be your coach, it reminds me similarly of whenever, I think, John Gross's teams, they talked about the graduation rate. Actually, Tim Beckman did that quite a bit. He kept talking about the graduation rate, the APR, right? That was high, which is great. That's great. But it's that's something you pivot to when you're not winning enough games. That should be the cherry on top. That should not be the entire Sunday in terms of the positives that your program is putting out there. So good man or not, right? We're talking about performance. We're talking about something where he's getting compensated handsomely to win some games, some. And he's not winning hardly any. Six-game losing streak. The best of the lot was at Iowa. Okay. (laughs) So the five games that followed the moral victory, so to speak, at Iowa City, all of them varying levels of awful. And when you continue to find yourself in a position where you need to come back from a two to three score deficit, or in the case of this game, now four, something is broken. Something is broken. And now in year five, we know it will not be fixed. We'll see what the reaction is on Twitter after the game. I think is this has gone on, and I haven't looked at it for a while, just as I'm doing this podcast, but I get the sense that for the most part, it's going to be a fairly muted reaction when the game clock hits zero because not much has changed. And to be quite honest, probably a lot of people have tuned out and went on about their day. This is me going on about my day in a very different way because <laughs> I have the game on and I'm talking about it, but I am excited at the same time to be done watching this game. I'm excited to be done watching this team. All that said, you make a move. We all understand that another rebuild, that is another long process. It is daunting. We've seen enough of them. It almost makes the whole coaching search thing not all that much fun because you know that you are basically saying, well, for two or three years, we're going to suck. But the danger is in keeping Lubby too long and sucking for that much longer. And if you want to go back in history, you're going to find that for Illinois football, and even Illinois basketball to an extent, the problem with Illinois sports has not been getting rid of guys too early. It's been waiting too damn long. Lou Tepper, you probably got rid of him at the right time. What may be difficult to get rid of him after 5-5-1. Five, five and one. I think he only had one season after that, 3-7 and seven or 3-8, and eight. and then you got Ron Turner. And that was an entire rebuild process. But fortunately, by year three, he made the Micron PC Bowl, and things looked pretty good. But you kept Ron Turner too long. You should never bring a guy back after 1-10 or 1-11, whichever it was, two years after making a Sugar Bowl. I don't care how recent it was at the Sugar Bowl. That thing was broken. That was dead in the water. You kept him for another year inexplicably. And I don't know what coaches you could have gotten in 04 that you, um, or 03, I guess, that would have been December 03 when you could have made a move and gotten somebody else. Who that would have been instead of Ron Zook? Could that have been the guy to get it done? Ron Gunther's track record is in terms of football hire suggests that it wouldn't have mattered because Ron Gunther was unable to get a pulse on how to get this football program in any sort of good shape. That is his enduring legacy just as much as it is hiring Lon Kruger and Bill Self. Right, The football hires and Bruce Weber, despite wild success early, Ron Gunther's problem was he was not a big boy AD. He was a small town AD. East Central Illinois, University of East Central Illinois, as Stephen Bardo so aptly put it, that was what Ron Gunther was. And I know he has a bunch of buddies at the tops of the Big Ten. I think he still has a position up there somehow. Him and Jim Delaney go way back. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we fell into the very middle chunk, lower middle chunk of Big Ten notoriety because of Ron Gunther. 
There was a reason we made the move to Mike Thomas. Now, Mike Thomas, of course, decides he's going to get rid of Ron Zook. And you can argue, and I've seen this on Twitter, why did we get rid of Ron Zook? He made two bowl games in his last two years. Clearly, it's better than what we have now. There's no doubt about that. But his ability to recruit was hamstrung when they went three and nine. And if Ron Gunther had learned the mistake that he made with Ron Turner, you don't bring him back after a three and nine season, even if it's two years after the Rose Bowl. You fire Ron Zook in 09. You go get an actual head coach. And he would have had some pretty damn good talent to work with in 2010 and 2011. And I bet you they would have found their way to bowl games too because you had about, what, 13, 14 NFL guys on both of those teams. They would have found their way with a decent head football coach. And uh, it's a shame. I've said this before that the Ron Zook thing, I so badly wish it would have worked. That was the one guy that it probably could have worked here. But you saw it in 2011. That team was 6-0, and and you couldn't even sell it out for Ohio State Stripe the Stadium because people knew. We, we knew deep down that this, this is fleeting. Something's not probably sustainable here. They had checked out. I should say the fan base checked out, probably as a whole. And then you get to Tim Beckman. Well, listen, you didn't fire him too late, I guess. I mean, that was an odd circumstance that you can't really compare to Ron Turner and Ron Zook. You got rid of him because you could. <laughs> you had the Simon Sianovich built-in excuse, and even though they made a bowl game, I think Mike Thomas knew ultimately, this is an opportunity. I can get rid of him now. And he did, and fine. Um, but yet again, this athletic program can't get out of its own damn way. They decide that they're going to give Bill Cubitt the contract extension, and then Josh comes in and makes the bold move. To circle back around to that, it was a bold move that I applauded at the time, and I'm not going to let 2020 hindsight change how impactful that was for Josh to fire Bill Cubitt, pay the money he needed to to get rid of him, which I know wasn't much, but still, and then go out and secure the money to get Lovey Smith. That's an accomplishment, but we know what this is now. So all that said, do not fall in the same trap that Ron Gunther, and it scared me a little bit when... Josh Whitman said a few things indicating that Ron Gunther and him had a good relationship. That's fine. He can. Do not model your behavior off of Ron Gunther. Don't do it. We don't need Ron Gunther part two. We lived through it. It wasn't good enough. That's my concern. You keep Lovey Smith, that would be straight out of the Ron Gunther playbook. Straight out of it. That's not a bold move at all. The bold move was to get him. It would be a cowardly move to not make a move now and to use the financials of COVID-19 as an excuse. Go out there and get it done. He's built the relationships, presumably a lot of good relationships with some of these top donors. We're putting money into facilities. I understand that they are earmarked specifically for facilities and you aren't going to be able to transfer money for the new oven over to the buyout for Lovey. But it tells you that the money is out there, the donors are out there. I got to think they're just as sick of watching this as I am. If we were able to be in the stands for these games... Can you imagine how depressing this would get? In a way, Lovey is fortunate that this is a COVID-19 year where we are all at home and he can't hear the boos and he can't experience as quiet as it is in that stadium right now for this game. It would have been eerily quiet with the 5,000 people deciding to stick it out in the fourth quarter of a 35-7 ball game against a winless Minnesota team. That is an eerie silence compared to this weird 2020 silence that we're accustomed to now because there's not fans in the stadium. That would have been worse. He's kind of fortunate that he doesn't ha- really have to have his feet held to the fire in terms of feeling the r- wrath is a very strong word, but feeling at least a bit of that pressure from the fans. Dude, you got to do better. But since he got here, Lovey hasn't really catered to the fans. He hasn't really worked to build a relationship with the fans. If I were Lovey Smith and I had been in the NFL for as long as I was, I would probably have an ego to the degree where I wouldn't feel the need to fr- uh, fraternize with college football fans. I'm just here to do a job, and that's fine, right? Again, if he would have won, that would have been completely fine. But this makes it all that much easier as a fan to just say, dude, we're done. There's no pre-existing relationship here. There was never a relationship between Lovey and the Illini fan base and the community. We're going to look back on this era and think, what the hell was that? <laughs> what was that? What was the? You had the high watermark with the upset at home against Wisconsin. You had the four-game win streak. You had the bowl appearance. But ultimately, the rest of it was so bad that we're going to look back on this. And I am telling you right now, Tim Beckman was a better coach 
than Lovey Smith. And you might say, Carp, you are out of your gourd. You need to probably stop the podcast right now. But think about this. Year two of Tim Beckman, they did go four and eight, right? Four wins, that's nothing to pat yourself on the back about. But if you consider some of the games that year, including a nice non-conference win against the new senator from Alabama, Tommy Tupperville in Cincinnati, if you consider the fact you probably should have won at Penn State, you should have. That was a, a heartbreaker. That would have gotten you five wins. And you had the win against Minnesota at home for homecoming. You had some high water marks that year. You had certainly had some bad moments as well. But there was genuine progress, right? From year one to year two, there was genuine progress. Bill Cubitt's offense seemed to be something that might work. Of course, that tailed off. And then in 2014, you found your way to a bowl game. And I don't think we can really differentiate 2014 and 2019 all that much from one another. The highest of highs in 2019 were certainly... you know, larger memories that we'll keep with us more than probably anything from 2014, right? But if I think about it, as time passes and 2019 becomes increasingly irrelevant because we didn't build anything off of it, those memories aren't going to be all that special. Now, easy for me to say I wasn't there for the Wisconsin game. That's incredible. You beat a top five team at home, you're a 30 point underdog. That is something to keep as a highlight, regardless of who comes in as coach. I am getting a little frustrated with having these moments, and yet there's no ultimate payoff, apart from just the moment of winning that game, and yet it doesn't translate to anything long-term. I would like to be like other programs where that becomes the signature win that gets you going on the recruiting trail, that gets the fan base fully engaged again. And instead, it, it happened. It was fun. The Michigan State game was absolutely insane, but there was no payoff beyond those Saturdays. You did have the feeling, and this is a feeling I so wish we could have as Illini football fans, where you get a big win and then you get a relish in it for a week. That's a feeling that we all too often do not have. And when you do feel that, that Sunday morning after a big win, it is something that uh, I, it's, I envy it. I envy those programs that have that more consistently than we do. I think it'll make it all the more special when Illinois gets a guy in here that can actually win enough games and have enough of those moments where that becomes somewhat regular. I don't think we will ever, for everything we've been through, ever take success on the football field for granted. I mean, it would take a remarkable run for any coach here where all of a sudden I wake up on a Sunday, it's like, oh, Illinois won a football game, ho-hum. No, I think we have been trained to the point where any consistent success we are going to act like we're kings of the world, even if that means we're third place in the Big Ten West. These are modest expectations. These are achievable goals. You cannot achieve them with Lovey Smith. So to conclude this podcast, it's not the longest, it's not as long as some of the post-game pods, and we'll get back to it next week, but there frankly wasn't much of a half to talk about, and we could see the writing on the wall. Trevor was doing some family stuff outside today. Why not? It was a perfect day. Uh, Harry had to work and I texted Isaac and I said, you know, I'm just, I got to get some things off my chest at this team and let's do it next week. So that's what we'll do. And yeah, technically is it a winnable game? Yes, it is at Rutgers, correct? And that's fine. You you might win. I don't count on it. I don't think this team's going to win more than maybe a game or two. So I guess that Rutgers game becomes all of a sudden must win for whatever moral victory we're looking for now, but it doesn't matter. You know, these ultimately don't matter. These individual games don't matter anymore because we know that at the end of it, the final product isn't good enough. It ain't going anywhere. So enough already. Make the move. Put the pieces in place. Go out there and be an athletic director for your Illini fan base, Josh. We don't need any more tweets of sunsets behind State Farm Center. And here's hoping there aren't that many beautiful sunsets behind State Farm Center because then he'll have too much perspective about life and think that wins and losses, that's who cares? That's a silly thing. I'm just proud to be an Illini. You know what? We're all proud to be Illini, Josh. I'm an alum. I've grown up in this community. I've went to games my entire life. I've invested a lot of time and energy into it, just like all Illini fans have, just like he did as an athlete here. Far more time and energy than I ever had to expend. But you got to do your job. And no one will begrudge you hiring him, but people will begrudge you if you don't fire him and move on already. This reminds me of this entire election week where Friday night, when it became obvious, I mean, it became obvious really kind of Wednesday afternoon what was going to happen, and yet the networks wouldn't call it. 
And I was thinking, enough already. Come on, just make the call. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And then finally, Saturday morning, they did. And the feeling, and you get, this is well documented. Of course, I didn't want Donald Trump to be reelected. I was very happy, relieved, and excited. And I'm thinking, okay, apples and oranges, <laughs> the future of our country versus the future of Illinois football, one is clearly more important than the other. But I know for a fact that that feeling that I had today when it was made official there would be a similar feeling if you tell me that we are moving on from Lovey Smith and we're going to go get a coach that can get Illinois to a place of consistent winning. I don't need to hear any platitudes in the press conference introducing the new coach. I don't need to hear about Big Ten championships or anything like that. You know all we need to hear about? The only thing Illini fans really need to hear about is we are going to turn ourselves into a consistent winner. That's it. They don't need to tell me about championships or any of that crap. I know what this football program is, and I know the ceiling is not nearly as high as others in the Big Ten West, and it's certainly the Ohio States and even the Michigans of the world, even though, man, Jim Harbaugh, whatever the hell's going on there, I don't know. But regardless, modest expectations, we can, we can do that. We can do that. And, hey, as long as you're winning games at State Farm Center, you will have a longer leash with which to do that. But unfortunately, I think the leash for this particular era of Illinois football is so short right now, and people have just tuned out and said, done. And I cannot be the only one saying enough already. So that's the title of the episode. I thought of it as I was, second quarter, I said, I'm done with this until I got to go record. And I missed a good chunk of the second quarter, clearly didn't miss anything. And that was when the two words came to mind. It's just this fatigue it is some genuine frustration, of course, built in there as well. Enough already. Got to move on. Got to do it. And we've tried to be careful on this podcast. And God knows from 93.5, you know, yes, I would come on spitting hot fire after a loss like this. But there was only one other time, one other time that I have just vociferously come out and said, fire that person. And that would have been in 2014 before Beckman's Illini beat Penn State at home. Brightweiser and I, it was it for, we always had fun doing those shows, but it was a long two and a half hours because it was essentially, what are we doing here? It's It's got to be over. It's got to be over. And then, of course, they won that day, and I remember thinking, what is this? And then if they beat Northwestern, what is going on? And then they beat Northwestern. Somehow that team makes a bowl game, and I'm thinking, okay. Those conflicting feelings, right? What have we gotten ourselves into here? Well, you aren't going to get that with this team. I know they were 2-4 and four last year. I know they look bad in those losses in that 2-4 and four stretch. But this team is not equipped to rattle off a bunch of wins, even with a mediocre competition. And even if they rattled off three of their last six, who cares? Who cares? Not enough, certainly. And uh, you'd be seeing that. If fans were in the stadium, you'd be seeing that right now, certainly, as this game wraps up in the fourth quarter. You would certainly be seeing that as the weeks continued. Fans would just stop coming. They'd stand the lots and say, why am I going to waste my time going into that stadium and paying for $8 beers to see a crap product on the field? I'd be one of them, but I'd be one in probably tens of thousands of Illini fans that would elect to make that decision. So when that's the temperature of your football program and that's where your fan base is at, you got to move. Josh, if you're part of Illini Nation, get your head out of your butt and walk out of oven and really gauge the temperature for all the ugliness, for all the snarky and sarcastic tweets that even I partake in sometimes. You got to get your finger on the pulse of this thing and realize that this ain't working. So final proclamation, the 200 level as a podcast is fully on board with move on. I'm not going to say fire Lovey or anything like that. Is it someone's job? It is their livelihood, even though, listen, Lovey's going to be fine. We know that. <laughs> he'll go to Florida. He'll live a long, happy life, and he should because he's had an accomplished career. Just not here. Just not here. Not really a feather in your cap to end your career as a football coach. And this will go down as the worst coaching tenure in modern Illinois football history. And that ain't hyperbole. I teach my sixth grade writing students about hyperbole and what it means. So when you say something is the worst, I'm not saying the worst of all time. I'm saying the worst, at least in my lifetime, from Lou Tepper to Ron Turner to Ron Zook to Tim Beckman, Bill Cubitt's one year to now. This is the worst five-year stretch of Illinois football. This right here. Got to end it. I'm ending this podcast right now as Michigan, Minnesota scores their sixth touchdown of the day with ease against a defense that really is not missing that many guys, so there's no excuse. 
Lovey's deciding to call the plays. He took accountability. I applauded him for it. And guess what? He sucks as a defensive play caller. Terrible. And he's going to say the same things, I'm sure, in the press conference. Well, you know, we got to do a better job coaching. Well, guess what? After a while, don't even need to hear that. There's nothing he could say that would make it better. There's nothing the marketing department could put on an Illinois football tweet that would make us feel better. Uh, we are at a point now where I think it's just time to probably end it. So, and that's what we're going to do with this episode as well. We're going to end it right now so I can go enjoy what has otherwise been a fantastic Saturday. Last note, maybe I'll expand on it in the last uh, in the next episode. Um, you know, we're a sports podcast, but we have, of course, referenced politics before and today in my mind was a very good day and i know if you were a donald trump supporter and i don't know how many true blue or i guess true red or dead red trump supporters there are listening to this podcast but there are probably still some that if not are trump supporters are conservative and it's not a day in which it's like gloating here or there i I made one tweet about it on twitter just saying this feels good it feels good it's a sense of relief and a sense of excitement And I'm excited to settle in and watch the president-elect speak tonight and speak with a tone and demeanor that is just a complete contrast from what we've had the last four years. I noticed it this week as a few students would type in the chat window their thoughts of what was going on. Um, I cannot speak from the perspective of a parent because, well, we don't have a kid. You know, we got a dog and she is blissfully unaware of what's going on with all this. It ought to be a dog, right? But it would be tricky for me if if I was a parent to think, well, how am I going to talk to them about the way that this current president acts and the way he talks about people and the disrespect that he shows for almost everybody, even the people that work under him? You know, it's just a, a tone that has become toxic. And I try to avoid partaking in toxic things. And I know I've, I know I have, I know I have, but I've really tried in the last few months to direct any source of criticism directly at the man and certainly not at people that support him and that's the key i am not at all pleased with the way that the last four years have went under his presidency for a variety of reasons but when it comes to supporters of his there are any number of reasons why people support him some nefarious some not my student teaching experience was down at heritage high school in broadlands politically probably not aligned at all with me, right? But these are human beings and they are not acting out of malice. There are reasons why they support this guy or that guy, or reasons why they support certain politics or ideologies. And I will strive in this climate, as polarized as it is, to continue to have an open conversation. Family, friends that um, don't see eye to eye with me, I want to continue to have the conversation. And be sure that any criticism I direct is towards the decision makers and not towards the public. People could say, well, Carp, that's turning a blind eye. You know, shouldn't we hold people accountable for supporting something like that? I went back and forth on this and and ultimately decided, you know what? I'm only focused on what could build positive discourse, civil discourse amongst my friends and family. And then what? The Twitter community that I interact with, you know? Um, I'm going to falter. I'm going to say things that are smart-ass and snarky. I need to gauge that before I do and try to avoid falling into that trap because that doesn't add to any sort of constructive dialogue. But that is my goal, right? Promise, I guess, to the podcast listeners, to the Twitter followers that it's not a moment for me to gloat. I don't even feel like gloating. I just feel happy. I feel relieved and I'm encouraged that this many Americans went out and voted in the first place. That's something I hope sticks. And if I've told my students anything this week, it's that you know we had more people vote in this election than ever. And more people are, are voting for this president-elect than any candidate before. That's meaningful. It's history. We got a female. We have an African-American, also Indian-American descent, vice president. History. And I was growing a little tired of living through history in 2020 with the pandemic and everything that came with it. But um, this is the kind of history that I am excited to live through. And how much are we going to talk politics on this show? I don't know. Not as much as 93.5. I know it's been dark days over the morning show there. But uh, 
wow, you know, that knowing what I had to uh, listen to in all those sales meetings, if there was any schadenfreude, I've learned that word from the Simpsons, basically a pleasure in someone else's misfortune. That's a strong word, you know, but I know for a fact after all the sales meetings and things that me and other staff members had to listen to over there that um, there's that curiosity. Do I dare turn into the morning show and and check out what it's like? Nah, nah. I stopped just short of any sort of gloating there. So I'll, I'll I'll let sleeping dogs lie, but of course it's crossed my mind. Are you kidding me? Of course, it's crossed my mind. I had to deal with it. <laughs> For years, I had to deal with that crap. So, um, But I think overall, it's a good day. It's a good day. And um, yeah, God bless America. We've never said that on tour level before. Should I end every episode with that going forward? Probably not. Probably not. We are a sports podcast with occasional diversions. All right, before we go, Go enjoy the rest of your Saturday or the weekend. If you're listening to this on Sunday, it's going to be another 75 degree and sunny day. Um, Got to, of course, remind you that DP Doe is online at dpdoe.com. Use coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For all your insurance needs, uh, we had a great experience working with Brian. I cannot recommend him enough. And Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. For Lana Inquire and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, happy Saturday. Have a great rest of your weekend. I don't even know if I'm going to bother with the Bears tomorrow. That's just too much bad football for me to take in one weekend. Instead, I think I'm just going to enjoy the beautiful weather and uh, do, do all the domesticated outdoorsy sort of things. So until next time, we will be back midweek. Next week, we got Mondays with Mike, with Jeremy on the Alana Inquirer podcast. And I think we know what the narrative is going forward. I think we do. And um, I don't know how tiresome that's going to get to talk about. But this is the temperature of the fan base, and justifiably so. Demand better. Expect better. We can be better than this. All right, stay safe, stay healthy, everybody. We'll see you next time. It is the 200 level.